Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the NS North podcast. I'm Dan Byers, and also on the line is co-host Phil Kazgrang. How are you, Phil? I'm doing great, and you, Dan? Not too bad. Um, for this podcast, we'll be chatting with speaker Christina Moulton from Ottawa, Canada. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. Thanks, Dan. Good to talk to you. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you on. So, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're what you've been up to lately? Sure. Um, been an iOS programmer for quite a while now. I've been freelancing at that for almost seven years. Um, spent a few years at the small agency doing some some dev work before that. Um, took a few years off to do some traveling. Just kind of broke things up and wrote a a technical ebook about just how to use REST APIs and and kind of create network based iOS apps. Uh, and then most recently, I've been back to work, back to the drudgery and, and freelance and all that, um, and then just had a, a baby not long ago, so that's kind of messing up my schedule and taking up a lot of my time right now. <laughs> As it should, I guess. Yes, congratulations. Thanks. A boy or girl? Uh, girl. Aw, very good. So you you spent some time on a boat. Yes, i a couple of years ago now, I guess, I guess I've been back in in Canada for about two years, but before that, uh, my husband and I spent two years, uh, bought a sailboat, went traveling, mostly the Caribbean and North America, so back and forth, staying away from hurricane season mostly, and, and trying to, to follow the weather, so no hurricanes and no winter was kind of the only real constraints we had there. Um, it's a, a little different, little the biggest thing is the internet really wasn't great. That was the, the hardest adjustment. Everything else was kind of manageable and we were well informed about, but uh, living off of cellular data and changing countries every few weeks definitely made things challenging. So you were able to stay close enough to the coastline to, to take advantage of the regular cell towers? Most of the time. We did have a few weeks each year um, where we would jump from the middle of the U.S. East Coast, straight down to the Caribbean. It's kind of, you do that or you spend three months slogging headfirst into the wind, and that that's a miserable Aww. alternative. Um, and so that was about two weeks of being offshore. So you know, three hours into that, you lose cell phone signal, and you're on nothing but satellite and whatever radio for the boats that are you know within 10 miles of you is all you've got for those two weeks. So wow. That's fun. <laughs> so what motivated this this big excursion? just one of those things we always feel like we don't get enough vacation I think as North Americans and, and don't get the opportunity to do a lot of things and we tried to negotiate jobs and I, I was freelance so I could probably have pulled something off but my husband had a, a regular full-time job and just trying to negotiate a little more vacation wasn't working so the end solution we came up with was basically they can't tell us we can't quit so if we can't uh, get a little more free time now and then let's just take a, a nice big chunk and kind of take two years of our retirement and move it to our mid-30s and and do it then. Yeah, enjoy life while you're at the, the prime of your life, I guess. <laughs> Definitely. It was uh, kind of surreal. One of the first experiences we had there, We when we did the big two-week passage, uh, we were with an organized group in that. And so one of the first days we were there, we all, half of us found a cab and, and went to go get a SIM card. And I was standing in the line in the, the British Virgin Islands telecom office. And the three guys behind me started all talking about uh, when they had to fly home for their next cancer remission checkup. So it was a bit of a, a wake up and they were all you know, very happy and very much enjoying being there and doing it and all kind of going, you know, they were all probably about 60 um, saying, you know, they, they wish they'd done it young and they wish they'd taken the opportunities and done more and and that. So that was the moment where it was like, yeah, this, it was a miserable two weeks to get here, but I think we did the right thing. 
Yeah. <clears throat> you always say that uh, to, the, to the young kids these days, as I quote unquote young kids, they, you know, if you have a chance to travel before you set, settle down, like it's, uh, you, you can't beat it, right? Definitely. And it, it's hard to do and it's hard to uproot even whatever little bit of settling you've done, but it's well worth it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So working a little backwards here, what was your uh, first start in the tech? Um, I did my very best to avoid programming as long as I could. Um, <laughs> I was in a, a, an engineering undergraduate program, systems design at, at University of Waterloo, and it's essentially a choose-your-own-adventure thing. So they make you take all your engineering requirements and then give you a list of a thousand courses and say, basically, construct a defensible major for yourself. Um, so I have classmates who took a lot of finance, uh, kinesiology, psychology were common things. I took a lot of math and a lot of geography um, and then ended up sticking with that and doing a, a master's degree. And that's when it kind of got to the point where it's like, well, I have all of this data and all of this analysis to do. I guess I need to get a computer to help me do it. Um, and that's when programming kind of started to happen. And that was you know, just mashing up MATLAB and Python, pretty much. Um, and then when I graduated, it was the reality of the jobs that are available are largely programming-oriented. So I actually spent a couple of years at um, a small company that does environmental emissions monitoring software uh, writing Delphi, which even then was, was a bit older, but uh, slightly different approach than uh, a lot of people. Don't run into a lot of people my age who've done a lot of Delphi at this point. <laughs> Run into a lot of people who've done a lot of Delphi anymore, but I've done a little bit of Delphi, but uh, I'm I'm just it's before you, so it probably doesn't count from your metric. <laughs> oh, that was a little over a decade ago at this point, so. And uh, so you're you're starting off with the Delphi stuff, and uh, was that was that near the iPhone launch, or how did you get into mobile? Uh, that was a little bit before. Um... So yeah, I did that for a bit, and then it was kind of getting boring, getting a little dull. There was a lot of bug fixing, and, and I was I was starting to do a little bit of UX, which was fun, but um, it just wasn't the right environment to do a lot of that. And then ended up just looking for something to be more interested um, and kind of keep life going and, and not be quite so dull. Uh, and I ran into someone who was doing a little bit of Apple-oriented freelance work, um, who'd done some work for Apple previously and came back to Canada since that. And he had some contract work for this brand new iPhone thing. So it, you know, I think it was iOS 3. It was the very first version after uh, the SDK came out. Um, so I ended up doing a little bit of moonlighting with him just for a few months to, to kind of fill out the extra work that he had that was a bit too much for himself. Right. Um, and then that ended up, um, he ended up starting a, a small uh, agency doing some app development for a few years. So I actually ended up switching over and working with him for, I think, about two years um, and working on a, a handful of fun projects, Did some some hearing aid-related stuff and uh, some other medical-related things. Um, that was a, a fun few years there. Very good. And like, was that catering to more of like a, a enterprise or, I guess, medical? A lot of it ended up being, and I think that's, that's kind of what his interests were, and that's where her, his interest um i think that's kind of the work that he's ended up doing now at the time it was a lot of you know what work can we get that's pays well enough to have a few people working on it and that so that kind of was largely enterprise stuff there were a few startupy bits here and there um and it's kind of fun now because i look back and 
or I'll, you know, come across some TechCrunch news or something that's like, oh, this well-established tech company. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember working on their <laughs> stuff like eight years ago, and that was the first version of, you know, that social network or um, – I came across one the other day, and I, it's all NDAs, and I can't talk about details, but it was someone who finally released uh, an additional feature and an additional iPhone app to help enhance their product, and we literally had talked to them about it in 2010. They, the idea has been percolated for it. There's just some technical limitations that then it probably would have kind of sucked, um, and now it just works really well. <laughs> so. Probably something to do with the Bluetooth stacks being somewhat better now than they were in the time. Uh, it was more the downstream stuff. It was the app would have been fine. Um, they, they had some hardware integration and stuff. Where just what you could do once you've done the stuff with the app just makes a lot more sense now. The payoff for the effort would be be way better now. To connect with the real world. Yeah, yeah. Your your real physical stuff is is so much better now. Man, it's come so far. <laughs> so after that, you uh, you went on your own, I guess. Yeah, the agency was doing well. Um, and I was finding I was just spending a lot of time talking to clients and not a lot of time coding. And I was starting to get frustrated with talking to someone, really understanding what they needed, and then having to have a whole other conversation with someone else to explain what software to write. And it just didn't wasn't working for me. And I'm sure it's just a skill set that I never fully developed to, to make those translations work really well. Um, but it just kind of struck me as the simpler thing at that point to just do it all, maybe do slightly smaller projects, but um, take on all of those aspects of the responsibility so I don't have to do quite so much handoff work. Um, so that's when I started doing more freelance stuff and, and moving there. And there's just some opportunities that came up right around then where that, that made sense. Sounds like you were moving more into a program manager role and you decided you didn't really like that. Yeah, it, it was kind of a lot of program manager, a lot of project management, uh, a lot of kind of sales and, and client management, which is what, I mean, all that really ends up being when you're an agency. That's what three quarters of your software management is, um, which is fun and interesting and, and would have been, in retrospect, probably a really fun path to go down, but it just wasn't what I wanted. And, and at this point, I'm still pretty happy to have stayed more technical and, and stayed with the nitty gritty and played with that stuff more. So some of the projects that you've been able to work on, like were they mostly utility apps or did some of them involve like some, some graphics work, like in terms of like, you know, like low level 3d stuff or 2d stuff. Um, what was the, what kind of, what kind of things that we're able to dabble in? Uh, it's been a lot of, I mean, a lot of it is really, there's a web API and we did an iPhone app to work with it. Um, which seems like it would be really limiting, but how we do that seems to change every three years anyway. Um, <laughs> Never stays the same. Whether it's just changing, you know, the, the best way to do it on the iPhone or if we're switching from Objective-C to Swift or if we're going to go to GraphQL instead of REST or um, a little bit of stuff. The, the funnest, weirdest one I've done is I have a client who builds movie props in Toronto and he has built a full-size R2-D2 robot. Um, and the the thing he wanted, and it, it's pure sales value, it's so that he can impress clients when they come in, um, and just because it's cool, is he wanted to be able to pull his iPhone out of his pocket and control R2-D2. So R2 uh, drives around the room, which is a little scary because R2 weighs more than I do and is a solid hunk of metal. Um, if you watch the movies, R2 does a really cool transition from two to three legs. So when he's standing, he's on two legs. And then he drops a middle third leg and scoots it out so he can drive around. It's a 
that was a fun bit of hardware integration to get working. Um, he's got the spinny head and all the beepy sounds um, and actually does the Princess Leia thing where he plays the little video. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. It's not a hologram. We couldn't get that working. Um, but he's actually got a, a full Mac Mini built on boards. He's actually a, a little uh, kind of an AV unit, really. Yeah. He plays movies, that kind of thing. And he has a projector that'll project it on the wall or whatever. Yeah, he's got a projector and a little eye lens and a little oh, cool. thing that pops open on his head and then the lens opens and the projector plays. It's fun stuff. So that R2 had, had like an API that you would talk to with the iPhone app. Yeah, so essentially that's what we've got is a, a very low level API. Uh, just sockets sending data back and forth and some commands. That's impressive. This guy's from Toronto? Yep. It's a surprisingly large movie uh segment in Toronto. Actually, I was just reading the other day, I think Netflix is going to start a, a new development studio there for some of their content. So should be getting even better. So you mentioned Swift uh, uh, as part of our, uh, some of the languages. How has that impacted your uh, your um, technical um, clients and stuff? As far as clients, it, it hasn't made a huge difference. Um, it did almost have a really scary impact on my career, though, because when we quit to go sailing, uh, we had it all timed out. We had a house. We sold it. We we're waiting for the check to clear. My husband wanted the check from the house to clear before he quit his job to make sure everything was all lined up properly. Um, so for those two weeks, we're hanging at a man-in-law's house. And that was um, June, I guess, and WWDC came on. And I'm sitting there at in my, you know, my mother-in-law's kitchen watching WWDC keynote on my laptop. And Apple announced Swift. And I suddenly went, I just committed to quitting and, and sailing away for one to three years and they've just deprecated all the skills that I have shoot <laughs> great timing so that's how I ended up writing um, just a self-published ebook while I was traveling because the first thing I did you know after I got a little bit bored with you know sitting on the beach and, and drinking margaritas and doing nothing was start playing with a little bit of APIs because the consistent thing that had come up in probably 80% of the projects I'd worked on at that point was there is an API we need to pull and display the data. Everything else wasn't that different, and, and that was never... There'd always be some fun UX challenges and some fun UI things to design and develop and, and work out, um, and there'd always be some fun technical challenge somewhere in the UI on what we need to, to set up and do. So the, the one consistent thing that had always come up and been a, a problem and was like the hardest thing when I started was how do I get this data? How do I sync it? Keep it on the device dealing with all the web stuff. So I started just writing a bit of a blog, just, you know, grab a random API, grab Swift in whatever version 1.0 was, um, and just start creating little apps that pull down data and that find, find free APIs and, and that, and just start writing that up. Um, and then after about a year of doing that, I discovered I had about a third of a book. So that's when I started kind of focusing and and turning into something that was a, a more consistent and concrete, uh, really tutorial, long-form tutorial on how to build a simple app and, and deal with that in Swift. So it turned out okay, but there was definitely a bit of a, oh my god, what have I done moment, realizing that Apple's changing everything on me. <laughs> but what 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 better of a way to force you to, to keep current, right? Definitely. And the reality is that the libraries, the SDKs, there's not that much difference. The, the language is 20% of it, maybe. Table views didn't change. Did you revise the book for further versions of Swift? I have, but it's been getting progressively less and less of an effort. Um, so from one to two was a big deal. Two to three was, was huge. Um, I think I released it originally in two. Um, 
three to four was a little bit of work. Um, but four to four point two last fall, there were like two screenshots I needed to change. Um, in fact, the only thing that changed was in Apple's uh, auto-generated project at the start. There were just two little keys that I think I had to enter periods in the middle of the the key name. Um, so it's it's getting easier and easier. I'm sure there'll be some stuff in five with some of the string changes and stuff again, but uh, haven't tackled that one quite yet. But yeah, it, it's been nice having it be a an ebook because updating it's not a big deal. It's almost expected, one would say. Yeah, but I'd prefer I'd rather have to do that work than not be able to do it. I'd hate to have a book floating out there that's Swift 2.0 and have put the effort into it and know that it's basically useless now. Welcome to Stack Overflow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's not as bad as JavaScript yet with all of the history and all of the, this isn't the current answer, but... Exactly. So actually, just I forgot to ask you, what what kind of boat did you guys use? Uh, We had a 34-foot sailboat, uh, which is on the small end of what people use. Um, But for two people, it was adequate. It worked out okay. Um, so kind of two tiny little bedrooms, one tiny little bathroom, probably the size of the average person's shower at home, if that. Um, and the smallest but most well-thought-out little kitchen. Okay. I don't know how we fit that much stuff into that space, but it was so nice cooking and just having everything right there. Like You could literally reach whatever you were doing. That's amazing. Cheaper. So the, the amount of planning that went into that trip must have, like, it's just mind-boggling. It was, there is a community who's done a lot of it and there's a lot of things, but there's not a lot of standards. So you can figure out once you say, well, okay, we're, you know, we're going to stick with satellite based communications. Okay. How do we go about that? And that's well plotted out, but deciding between satellite based and uh, basically ham radio type stuff, there's no right answer. And, and everything's like that. There's a half a dozen different possibilities and so many different choices on, on how to tackle things, but in the end, most of them work. <laughs> yeah, so it's just finding which whichever one works best for you, I guess, as you go. Yeah, everything on a boat's a compromise. Um, whether it's the cost of it or the weight or the space. Um, we made a lot of choices based on weight and space. Um, a lot of people have 45, 50-foot boats, which, you know, 10 feet doesn't sound like that much more, but the volume and weight um, of those boats is two, three, maybe four times the size of a 34-footer. So it's just a, an entirely different design problem trying to choose different things to, to work in that space. But we managed. And so you must, you guys must have been fairly experienced sailors, I guess. Kind of. Um, we spent a good few years after university sailing Hobie Cats, which are kind of the equivalent of road bikes as far as sailboats go. They're fast, they're stripped down, they have all the controls, they can do everything, but they're really not, um, they don't have any of the the complexity. So it was kind of like taking all this experience on something that's, you know, a glorified windsurfer, um, and mating that with something that's 80% RV. (laughs) The hard thing was learning the systems and mechanics that uh, go into that. So just something like, how do you maintain a freshwater system? you have water tanks on board how do you stop them from going off and and going funky um you know what what maintenance does a toilet on a boat require (laughs) you're pumping salt water through it it's it's got some issues 
Um, just all that stuff, diesel systems, uh, and pumping and controlling and cleaning your diesel and, and maintaining all of that, um, making your oil changes easy to do so that you're not trying to get uh, <laughs> trying to get under the engine and get the oil drained out of it. They they jokingly call it boat yoga when you have to do maintenance, certain maintenance because you're contorting yourself into the weirdest positions in the tiniest little spaces, trying to get that you know one little screw that because you've got so little space to work with is in the most awkward spot. Yeah. But. Holy cow! Yeah, the the amount of patience. <laughs> Sailing yeah. is easy. Um, maintaining a sailboat is a whole other ballgame. And maintaining a sailboat in salt water is another thing. Oh, completely. We, we were lucky. The boat that we bought had been freshwater all its life, so it it started on the Great Lakes, and it it had been on the Great Lakes since it was new. Um, and we took it, um, and I guess it was about halfway down the Hudson River, coming down towards New York. And we just started seeing the salt crystals on it. And within a week, you realize that uh, stainless steel is not all stainless steel. As soon as you start working it, it it's little imperfections and they will rust. Oh, yeah. There's that. There's your propeller that's getting slowly eaten. There's You need to have a cathode and an anode and stuff like that. Yes. It's all weird. Yeah, that's... And it, although some of it, you can run into issues in freshwater too. We we had some cathode-anode-related issues. Um because of the power in marinas. If other boats aren't properly mm. grounded and the power systems aren't that great, um, it can affect all the boats in the area. So you can have some, some metal corrosion magically happening, and it'll happen in like a week. Um, it's kind of crazy. But yeah, nothing compared to trying to get barnacles off of a propeller. Oof. Not fun. So have you kept the boat? since you? We didn't. Um, we kept it for a year after we came back, and we found just the ratio of the amount of time we needed to work on it and the money we needed to spend on it uh, compared to the enjoyment we were getting out of it just didn't match up anymore. Um, and everybody always wants a bigger boat. So getting rid of that one means we can get a bigger one later. So. As my as my sailor's friends say, a boat is a hole in the water in which you throw money. Yeah. The joke is boat stands for bring out another thousand. There you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> You'll need Incredible. to do a lot, a lot of freelancing to be able to go back on the freelancing on the boat. Because I guess writing a book on the boat is kind of a sounds like a dream, but maybe it was cramped at sometimes. Uh, it was. There were definitely times where it was, you know, go hang out at the beach bar and you know get out of that space for a bit. Plus, they tended to have Wi-Fi, um, which was nice, much, much better than paying for all your internet. So, so in, in your off times. Um... From uh, coding and writing uh, and updating your your book, um, what 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 do you like to do these days? Uh, yeah, obviously, I guess now you're you're 100 into into new mommy territory. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of all consuming at the moment. Um, do have a little dog who's trying to not be quite so spoiled and, and lucky enough to live somewhere that there's some nice trails in the woods to to go and do a little bit of hiking. So hopefully, you know, when we don't have three feet of snow and an inch of ice under it, we can start doing some more of that again. Um, I usually do a bit of snowboarding, but that's been kind of off the table this winter, unfortunately. Um, oh, next winter is going to come soon enough. I shouldn't say that, but it does. No, oh, don't do. say that. Yep. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? Uh, he's an Icelandic sheepdog, which is basically a goofy Sheltie. Super, super social. Um, only about 30 pounds. He actually came on the sailing trip with us. So fortunately, he's only 30 pounds and quite portable. Nice. Yeah, highly adaptable. <laughs> Very energetic? Yes. Yeah. 
mellow and likes hanging out with his people enough. So, so he's good at he's very good at making sure we get our exercise. Just a good trade-off. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Christina, this evening. Thanks, Phil. It's been great talking to you guys. Yes, and we look forward to seeing you in uh, April at NS North. So if you're listening here and want to hear more from Christina, just come to NS North on April 26th to the 28th. Just go to our website at nsnorth.ca for all the details. And we hope to see you all in April. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.